Hello, world. Welcome back to Everything is Interesting, your science show here on X-Ray FM. I'm Kira Lindenberg. And I'm Kira Kleenberg. This season, we've been exploring the idea of invasions. Here with us to discover more weird science that relates to this invasion topic is our good friend, Jill Gubdenaporn. Glad you could join us today, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Good. I'm glad. Because on today's show, we've got the dish on what is quite literally the mother of all invasions, pregnancy. But we aren't going to talk about the usual pregnancy-related stuff. This show isn't specifically about the fetus itself or how incredible it is that a woman's body can accept and facilitate a tiny human growing inside of it. Yeah, it's weird, right? Instead, we are going to focus in on one of the lesser emphasized but arguably most interesting components of pregnancy. The thing that actually does all the work for the fetus. The placenta. The placenta. Although it doesn't often get the fanfare it deserves, the placenta is the key biological tool that gives mammals the ability to gestate, that is, to carry a fetus in its womb from the moment of conception until the moment of birth. And womb gestation is a pretty solid reproductive strategy. Yeah, it works. (laughs) I think we can all say solidly that it it worked for us. This uniquely mammalian talent allows babies to get a head start on life, all while benefiting from the safety and resources of its mother's body the baby comes out a little more mature and with a much better chance of survival. That's a good point. A developing baby inside of its mother is way more protected than a baby inside of an egg. So why don't more animals or all animals develop that way? Well, mainly because eggs and um, egg birth? Egg birth. That's not what it's called. What is it called? As opposed to live birth? Yeah. What is? There's got to be a term for it. I don't know, but we're calling it egg birth now. Egg birth? I think it's called oviparity. Like an animal. (laughs) An animal that gives birth via eggs is called oviparous. Oh, okay. Okay, cool. Oh, like can omnivore. we keep calling it egg birth, please? No, not like <laughs> omnivore. Yeah, we can call it egg birth. <laughs> but I'm glad we also know the real reality of it. Okay, well, oviparity or egg birth, I do like egg birth better. We'll, we'll go with that. It, it came first in the chronology of evolution. So it was hundreds of millions of years before some relative of modern-day birds actually evolved the ability to be able to keep its eggs inside its body long enough for the babies that were inside them to fully form, thus letting them give quote-unquote birth to both a live animal as well as the scientific kingdom known as mammalia. Because, as I'm sure you know, pretty much all mammals give birth to live young. That's one of their defining characteristics, with a few exceptions, like that weirdo, the platypus. Yeah, don't bother trying to categorize the platypus. No, no. Uncategorizable. Or like a marsupial, like a possum. Right. They might be aliens. No, no, that's a different show. Um, But okay, but live birth is not a perfect system. Gestating young inside the womb definitely comes with some trade-offs, mainly for the mother. For one, keeping up with all the biological demands of a developing organism inside her body puts quite a drain on her. She also has to eat more food, and she becomes heavier and less mobile, so while she's protecting her baby, she is at greater risk from predators. And the birth itself can also be risky particularly in mammals that grow quite large inside the womb like us humans do. But really, both methods come with risks and benefits. Eggs aren't necessarily worse than live birth. I mean, how easy is it for you to swipe a chicken's egg to make an omelet? Too easy. Mm. (laughs) And and how nice is it for a turtle to just lay a clutch of a thousand eggs in the sand and swim away to its, like, turtle paradise or wherever turtles go, knowing that there's a pretty good chance that at least one of the eggs will survive? Which is why there are plenty of both live-birthing mammals and egg-birthing 
oviparous. Oviparous fish and birds and reptiles out there surviving in the world today. So besides being inside versus outside of their mother's bodies, is there a whole lot of difference between the way these fetuses develop? Well, of course, you know, each species has developed like a particular development pattern, right? Meaning that like maybe the baby's leg or its eyeball or its antenna forms first, depending on what species it is. But on a very basic level, the same thing is happening inside of every egg and every pregnant uterus. Cellular division. One fertilized cell becomes two identical cells, which becomes four, which becomes eight, and it keeps going that way until you've, you know, reached a couple trillion. I feel it's important to note here that all I could focus on in that when we were saying it is eyeballs and antennas, and I thought, eyeball antenna. We should have an eyeball antenna. What? You know, eyeballs and antennas. (laughs) Like snails? Yes. (laughs) Or maybe just an antenna growing out of your eyeball. An aside also, um, when I was in college, we dissected chicken eggs because for the first six days of development, um, they're identical to human fetuses. Freaking cool, man. That's awesome. That's weird. But only for those first six days and then they're completely different. Totally different. And then if your chicken has fingers, then something has gone (laughs) awry. Well, okay. So getting back to the difference between an egg and a human or mammalian fetus, Aside from those six days where we're essentially the same, the big difference is that while an egg gets its nutrients from the static yolk sac that's inside the egg with the fetus, a mammalian fetus is constantly extracting nutrients from the body of its mother, growing inside her body until it is robust enough to be birthed into the outside environment. Given the choice, I think I still would have rather done all my gestating inside my mother's body. Not just for the safety of it, but it seems like your resources are so limited if you're inside an egg. Once I run out of nutrients in my yolk, that's it. That's I, it. You're done. <laughs> if I get hungry or if I need something, I can just be like, hey, mom, get me some broccoli or some ice cream or whatever. Give it to me through your blood. <laughs> yeah. It, when you run out of nutrients, you're kind of screwed if you're inside an egg. Unless you can evolve to hatch faster. And then you can go eat a bunch of leaves and then you can go back into your egg Oh, like a bug. Again, yes, that is exactly what metamorphosizing bugs do. Like the chrysalis is the second egg. Yes. Yeah, totally. They just evolve to kind of hatch early because they're like, there's not enough nutrients in this yolk or whatever. Whatever it is that I do. Do bug eggs have yolk? I don't know. (laughs) They have something. They've got nutrients in there and then it eventually runs out and then they're like, let's go eat some leaves. So maybe like our options here would be live birth, live in your mother forever and take your nutrients, egg birth, just use your yolk sac, or second egg birth, <laughs> be a bug. <laughs> be a second egg birth, be a bug. <laughs> I'm going to go with that one just because it sounds fun. Oh, man. Given a choice, I would be a bug. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but okay, but the mammalian version, the way we do it, is pretty good. It's sort of like, I don't know, while you're the fetus inside your mom, you get room service in the world's comfiest hotel. Except for maybe the part where there's no front door in the uterus through which to wheel in the room service cart. That's kind of a problem. Yeah, good point. How do the nutrients get from the mother to the fetus? Well, luckily, evolution has delivered us a solution. That sounds like an after-school special song, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Evolution, solution. That's exactly. Oh, somebody turned that into a ringtone. Anyway... That is uh, also a great topic for today's show. The way that evolution has found to get nutrients to the baby is called the placenta. The placenta is a temporary organ that develops alongside the fetus, and its sole purpose is to extract nutrients from the mom and pass it along to the baby. 
The placenta acts like a spongy, fleshy, sort of exchange depot thingy. Just like any other bodily organ, it's tapped into the mother's vascular system via a bunch of blood vessels. But then it is also connected to the fetus's circulatory system through two arteries and a vein we sometimes like to call the umbilical cord. That's a vein? I, the umbilical cord? I never knew that. It's not just, it, it, it's, sort, it's sort of like a, fle- I'm sure there's a couple other things in there, but it's basically just like a, yeah. a tube of flesh with a vein it's, inside? With with two arteries and one vein. Oh. So that's okay. why it's thicker than a normal vein. Yes. So it's like a fleshy um, electrical cord. Yes. That's a very good way of thinking about it. Yes. Uh, Yeah. So the placental organ facilitates the passing of oxygen, nutrients, and other useful substances from the mother to the fetus, and waste products like carbon dioxide from the fetus to the mother. It basically does the job of the lungs, the liver, and the kidneys until the fetus's organs are developed enough to kick in on their own, essentially acting as a lifeline between the mother and her growing young Sounds pretty important. Oh, absolutely. And not surprisingly, the health of the placenta seems to be directly related to the viability of the entire pregnancy. So if the placenta develops improperly, then, you know, all sorts of things can go wrong, like miscarriage, stillbirth, and other conditions like preeclampsia that put both the mother and her young at risk. Oh, so the placenta is like this manifestation of a mother's love, the thing that bonds the mother and the child together. The tiny, vulnerable ball of cells that is the developing fetus holds on to the placenta for dear life, and the mother's circulatory system selflessly gives its own nutrients and oxygen and blood to ensure the fetus is healthy, just like the mother will give her own energy and time to ensure the living baby is happy and taken care of when it's born. Oh my gosh, that was so poetic. And also, no. Yeah. <laughs> it's wrong. Sweet, <laughs> but wrong. That was really touching, though. Um, yeah, no. What we're about to discover is that the placenta is anything but the mother's love, or even the mother's friend. And that, it, in fact, it is more like the fetus's buddy that the mother reluctantly puts up with who comes over and like eats all the Doritos in the house or whatever, because she wants wants her fetus to be happy. But this is also something we should note that we've just been learning recently. For all its vital roles in a mammal's ability to bear young, surprisingly little is actually known about the placenta itself. Even though researchers have been studying human placentas for decades now, we still haven't been able to unravel all of its secrets. What we do know is that while it's absolutely essential to the development of human babies, unless you are the baby... Uh, The placenta is far from being a friendly little organ. In order to do its job, it employs some pretty brutal, warlike tactics towards the mother's body. Thus the invasions theme here. (laughs) When you get right down to it, the placenta is a foreign invader in the mother's body. Just like bacteria, viruses, and other things that our bodies are programmed to recognize as quote-unquote not-self. The placenta develops not from the mother's cells, but from those of the fetus. And the fetus is a unique organism with unique DNA. It's even possible the placenta possesses its own microbiome, which is different from that of the rest of the body. How weird is that? Because of its quote-unquote otherness, the moment the placenta begins to develop, it's at odds with the mother's immune cells, which are the defense system of the body. A delicate balance must be formed between the two to keep the mother's body from rejecting and attacking this new foreign organ. Oh, and to keep the placental cells from taking over the mother's body. What? How would the placental cells take over the mother's body? Or, like, why would they? Well, okay, that's the thing about placental cells. Their specialization is to implant, invade, and essentially siphon nutrients from the mother's body. Some are so aggressive that they have been likened 
to an invasive cancer. And if left unchecked, these cells don't necessarily have mechanisms in place to stop their invasive processes. It's kind of up to the mother's body to regulate them. A lot of people refer to the relationship between the fetus and the placenta, you know, the fetus placenta unit and the mother's body as a parasitic one. But perhaps it's more an accurate description to call it a fetus-driven truce in the war between the mother's body and the invasive placenta. That's definitely not the poetic relationship that I was talking about earlier. It's poetic. It's just like one of those war poems. Yeah, it's not, it's, it's not love <laughs> no. and happiness and bonding. It's, you're right. It's destruction, mm-hmm. devastation, and Oh, Captain, my Captain, yeah. or whatever. Go ahead and destroy my illusions. That's fine. That's what we're here for. <laughs> the war analogy is actually a pretty good one, because the process by which the placenta gets established in the mom's body isn't too far off from the description of a well-executed military invasion. Imagine there's a country known as Momland, and the capital is this lush and fertile city of Euteria. It is this city that our invaders from the neighboring country of Fertilized Egg have targeted to begin the development of their experimental project called Nubabius Giganticus. Talk about poetic. But these invaders don't have the resources at hand to fully build their experiment, so they have to send in their specialized troops to take over part of Euteria and set up a military base camp with soldiers who would secure a consistent flow of supply to the builders. They call this base camp Fort Placenta. These soldiers are, of course, the placental cells. But before all the fighting started, these citizens of fertilized egg country were known as trophoblasts, specialized cells that develop on the outer layer of the fetus, which at the moment just... The whole fetus kind of looks like a tiny, hollow soccer ball. About six to seven days after fertilization, and apparently after we start looking like a chicken fetus, (laughs) the trophoblast cells connect and implant into the wall of the uterus, or here in our story, story, invade the city of Euteria. But the people of Euteria are not interested in just sitting idly by and passively letting these invaders take their space and resources. So the trophoblasts have to attack the cells of the uterine wall shoving mom cells out of their way as they literally burrow into the mother's bodily tissue. At that point, the invasion is on. These cellular soldiers are so well-equipped to invade that they have evolved the ability to change their shape to become more motile, which is like the same trick that cancer cells use to spread out from a tumor and invade other parts of the body. As the trophoblasts dive ever deeper into the uterine wall, they continue to pave a path of destruction with devastating weapons like digestive enzymes that dissolve cells on the spot and substances that drive target cells to suicide. Oh my gosh, it's like biological warfare. It's gnarly, isn't it? It's just, ugh. The ultimate goal of these cells? Get to the arteries located in the uterine wall known as spiral arteries and tap into the maternal blood supply. These trophoblast placental cells truly are out for blood, the mother's blood, that is, which contains all the nutrients and resources needed to support the growth of new babyus giganticus. Once the spiral arteries have been infiltrated, the trophoblasts release proteins that disarm the mother's immune defenses, at which point they can start to destroy the smooth muscle cells that line the artery walls. And why would they do that, you ask? Well, so they can employ a military tactic that is both super weird and super cruel. The trophoblasts now start to mimic their enemies. Like creepy, identity-thieving, Nicolas Cage-esque bad guys, the invasive fetal cells begin to pretend that they are these smooth muscle cells and grow into the spaces left behind by the cells they killed. So they're now coating the mother's blood vessels. 
The invading cells essentially paralyze the spiral arteries, dilating them so they stay wide open, allowing maximum blood flow into the placenta. Maybe one of my favorite quotes from the research articles that we've been reading for the show really hammers in the extent of the influence trophoblasts have on the mother's arteries. So from the article, quote, Trophoblast cells destroy the wall of the maternal spiral arteries, converting them from muscular vessels into flaccid sinusoidal sacs. Mmm, flaccid sinusoidal sacs. I know, it's so good. That's It's a great way to insult somebody. Yeah. How is there not already like a like a punk band called Flaccid Sinusoidal Sex. Maybe there is. <laughs> Maybe there will be after this episode airs. It is definitely what I'm going to use to target people who I don't like. They're just a disgusting Flaccid Sinusoidal Sack. That actually sounds like way more insulting than a normal insult. Like, like, maybe it's just because if you don't know what it means and it right. sounds really disgusting and really mean. I mean, and calling it, anyone flaccid is like pretty... That's a uh-huh. very good a point you make the there. Yeah. <laughs> Good point. And sack, that's just not a very nice Don't word. Call me a sack. All in all, the trophoblasts will totally take over between 80 to 100 of the mother's spiral arteries. And it will set up approximately 32 miles worth of new capillaries to transfer nutrients to the fetus. Whoa, that's a lot. These little buggers are really aggressive. Yeah. Oh, yeah. These things are very much tailored for this all-important but rather terrifying invasion. Also, as an interesting side note, something that I found that I feel we must talk about, at least briefly, is that the placental cells are not picky about where they set up their shop either. They don't necessarily have to be in a uterus to want to invade. Is that creepy? Are you saying that they'll just like just think there could be a placental cell on the table and it would like start to in, just grow? Uh, no, no. I, well, I think that they still have to be in or organic tissue. So basically, in studies that researchers have done with mice, they've tried implanting placental cells into the mice's organs that have nothing to do with reproduction. So like the brain or the liver. And what they found, no. I know these poor mice. Uh, what they found though is that when they do that, the placental cells just start burrowing in and trying to set up shop and making a new placenta. Ew. Even though it's not a uterus. That's crazy. So it's just like a placenta growing in this mouse's brain? Yeah, I don't I don't know if they actually ended up making a placenta, but they certainly tried. <laughs> Gross. Quick, this is maybe an ignorant question, but would would it grow into a baby? Would it would it oh. would the mouse grow a brain baby? No, I don't think so because there, there there's no blastocyst. There's no ball of cells attached oh, to these placental cells. I see. It's just the specialized. Trifo. They just like okay. They just like injected the placental cell. There's no fertilized egg attached at this point, so there'd be no way for a fetus to grow. But the placental cells still try and do their job. That's super weird. Still, still unsettling. Very yes. <laughs> That's kind of crazy though. Ugh, brain placentas. Yeah. That's super gross. And like any aggressive, invasive organisms, these placental cells, they would be perfectly happy to just continue to take over whatever tissue they could get their hands on, including the brain, apparently. Um, and it's really, it's, it is up to the mother's body to keep them in check, to make sure that they only are taking what nutrients they need to ensure the proper growth of her young. So wait, how does the mother's body do that? Because the placental cells seem so aggressive. I mean, I know our immune systems kick major, but because if, say, you were to receive an organ transplant, your doctor would have to give you some kind of immune suppressants just to keep your body from rejecting the new heart or kidney or whatever. We can fight against the new transplant organ, but we have no defenses against the placental organ. So is it the case that during pregnancy, the best the mother's immune system can do is just strike a balance with the invasive placental cells? Like two equal and opposite forces in a kind of pregnancy stalemate? That is a good deduction, but it is slightly more complicated than 
that. Well, okay, so you're right about our immune systems. They do kick major butt all the time. And in fact, under normal circumstances, the mother's body would likely destroy the invading placental cells without hesitation. And the placental cells would tirelessly try to invade as far as possible into her body, even if it caused massive damage. Which can happen, as we'll see later in the show. Yeah. Um, which is not in the placenta's interest, but, you know, it, it's kind of, it's, it's just very one-track-minded invade, invade, invade. But since both the mother and the placenta are working in the interest of the fetus's healthy development, they actually end up collaborating. In my imagination, it's sort of like a ballerina and a breakdancer, and they're like going to head, head to head in this dance battle that turned out to be choreographed all along. It was thought for a very long time that the mother's immune system had to be suppressed for the placenta and the fetus to not get rejected from her body, kind of like you were saying about the, the organ transplants. But it turns out that the mom's immune response, which is similar to the inflammation that's triggered during wound healing, it actually might be a crucial factor in the placenta's ability to develop at all. During the inflammatory response period, which lasts for, I think, about the first 12 weeks of pregnancy, some of the mother's own specialized T cells actually go to work protecting the foreign invading placental cells. So they help the invaders invade. Yeah. It's not fully understood, but we do know that when inflammation in the uterus is prevented, implantation cannot happen and the pregnancy fails. The mother's immune system during early pregnancy is far from suppressed then. It's fully functional, it's carefully controlled, and it's tailored towards supporting this aggressive placental cell invasion. So while the placenta is aggressively invasive, it isn't evil, and the mother's body knows it's not a real enemy like a disease. Well, that's the hypothesis anyway. I mean, evolutionarily, it makes sense as the placenta is the crucial bridge between the mother and the fetus. So those mothers that rejected the placenta outright would, uh, you know, not be able to have babies because they wouldn't have <laughs> any way to get nutrients to their fetus. And therefore, they're not going to have viable offspring. Unless they could egg birth. <laughs> Excuse me, can you egg birth? All right. So the placenta is officially connected to the uterine wall. The mother's immune system is helping it thrive. The spiral arteries are wide open. So now the mom's blood can start delivering nutrients straight to the baby, right? What's super weird is that for all this talk about maximizing blood flow to and from the placenta, the placenta doesn't actually allow the mother's blood to mix it all with the baby's blood. Instead, some of the trophoblast placental cells, they start to form these finger-like projections called villi. I believe villi is also what you have in your digestive tract to soak up nutrients. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, it's just a, it's a catch-all name for oh. anything that's sort of like a finger-like protrusion fingers. out of the cell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's really <laughs> unfortunate that listeners can't see what you're doing with your fingers right placental now. fingers. Is, yeah. <laughs> sort so of like th- jazz hands. <laughs> That is exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) So these placental fingers, these villi, they literally bathe in the mother's blood. The layers of cells on the outside of each of the villi is extremely thin so as to let various gases and molecules in and out. And as the mother's blood whooshes around them, they just pick up the nutrients they need right from her blood cells. And then they deposit it on the fetal side of the placenta. These nutrients are then passed along to the fetal blood, which makes its way through the umbilical cord to nourish the growing fetus. These multiple villi allow for maximum surface area to come in contact with the mom's blood supply while simultaneously acting sort of like bulletproof glass at a bank teller window. They facilitate the movement of stuff across the barrier, but they don't allow the things on each of the side of the glass to mix. This was something that really impressed me because before doing this show, I don't know about you guys, but I had this image of like, you know, placenta, umbilical cord, fetus, and then just like this 
chunk, like a like a tube inserted into the mother's blood that is just that like the umbilical tapped cord? in. Is that what that noise was? No, no, okay. no. But just like that, they just tapped right in, and then it was like siphoning gas. You know, like the mother's blood just started to flow did into you the baby. Th- did you think that it was it was just one continuous blood flow? Yeah, kind of like adding an extra call to sac onto a new development. You know, you just add an extra road, and here goes the car. Just you know, yeah. That's I what I. That's what I was thinking. I can't say that I thought anything different. I had an idea that it had to be, something had to be happening. Something had to be different just because I had a good friend who, when she was pregnant, she had to, oh man, she went through so much medical care and she had to get these infusions like once a week just because, I can't remember exactly what the issue was, but I, there was something with her immune cells wanted to attack the baby's blood cells because they, they were like different oh. blood types. Um, and I'm probably getting all of the details of that incorrect. But So I knew there had to be some barrier between the bloods. Yeah, like the, the blood couldn't have been mixing, but I, I don't think I really fully thought it through until just now. Yeah. I honestly always just thought of pregnancy as like this miracle just suffused in vapor and clouds and like fluffy <laughs> you stuff. Just there were like cherubs inside women's yeah. uteruses. Okay. Are you saying otherwise? <laughs> nope. Okay. Nope, we're not. That's exactly just, how it works. They're just really, the cherubs like to burrow in to the tissue and destroy cells and stuff. That's all. These cher- the placental cells are just the cherubs. That's okay. Oh, man. Cherubs more intense than you thought they were. Yeah. Well, regardless, it's it's cool to know that the way that the nutrients get from mother to baby is more of this controlled exchange, you know, via the placenta. Yeah. And, and knowing that there's that barrier between their types of blood, I mean, that just kind of really strengthens that visual of like... This kind of really is like an invasive thing inside your body. That's yeah. <laughs> like make way for me. And uh, prepare you guys yourself for some bonus content that will come later because we do have a whole section on what gets transferred and what gets across the placental barrier. Uh, but we're going to save that and release it as extra content later. Well, but I get to hear it, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. <laughs> do you know if any research has been done on mothers with compromised immune systems due to like illness or HIV or like drugs or whatever and that balance between placental takeover and the mother's biological defenses like does the placenta ever go too far that's a very good question Um, we couldn't find a whole lot of research about how a compromised immune system specifically like changes the interaction between a developing placenta and the mom's body. But there's definitely a lot of documented cases in which the placenta goes too far, um, whatever the cause for that imbalance, whether it's, you know, immunosuppression or just, I don't know, super strong placenta. And there's actually three major ways that this can play out. The first is known as placenta accreta, and it is the least severe of the three. That's when the placenta attaches far deeper into the uterine wall than it really needs to. Placenta increta is the next stage, and that's where the placenta burrows so deep into the uterus that it ends up penetrating the uterine muscle. Which it's not supposed to. No, it's not good. And finally, there's the worst one. Placenta percreta, where the placenta burrows clear through the uterus and ends up attaching to a completely different organ, like, say, your bladder. Oh, that's horrible. Horrible. Does it, does it hurt while it's happening? That's a good question. I, I, how could it not? <laughs> well, I did if read. I poke my bladder with a finger. When I was hurts, reading so. about these, they actually said that they can develop without symptoms. So you might not even know Whoa. until later. That's terrifying. Yeah. That's horrifying. crazy. Well, the cause for these conditions is unknown, but having a C section from a previous pregnancy does seem to increase the risks. Some research has shown that placentas that develop over a scar in the uterus, such as that from a C section, 
have a higher risk of these placental abnormalities. There's something in the way that a scar heals that makes that spot on the uterus sort of more delicate. Regardless, these are quite serious conditions, as the placental organ is designed to, you know, detach from the uterus pretty easily and eject itself from the mother's body about 30 or so minutes after the baby is actually born. When the placenta is attached not only to your uterine lining, but also your uterine muscle and perhaps another organ in the body, like your bladder, well, detaching, that's that's not going to be as easy as it should be. Furthermore, the placenta will sometimes break apart and come out of the uterus in pieces, and that's far more likely to happen if you have one of these conditions. And that means that the remaining sections of the placenta are basically wide-open arteries that can hemorrhage blood at a life-threatening rate. Very dangerous. Luckily, instances of the placenta growing into tissue where it doesn't belong, they're pretty rare. They occur in something like one out of every 2,500 pregnancies. And obstetricians are well-trained at dealing with this. Did you guys always your entire life know that placenta... Is it the afterbirth? Is that what that process it, yeah, is called? Yeah, it's called the afterbirth. Did you know that that was a thing? Oh, like like that it even came out at all? Yeah. I think I did. But it would also be reasonable that somebody might not, that you might have thought it just got absorbed into the body or something else. But but you're right. Yeah. The placenta absolutely is due to come out. Like it basically you like... like a secondary birth, yeah, right? Yeah. You, you spend nine months with this placenta burrowed into your body <laughs> and then you give birth to the baby and then the placenta's job is done and it detaches and just sort of like gets... I wanted to say pooped out, but it doesn't get, it just gets nope. pushed out. Yep. Yep. Uh, <laughs> but you, you can have like contractions, right? I mean, that's, that's how it, yeah. That's the, okay. that is the idea. After You're, birth. Yeah. It gets birthed. It gets birthed. Yeah. D- double it does birth. Get, double Second birth. birth. Yeah. So if you're thinking about giving birth, birth the sequel, it's not just one. <laughs> It would be disappointing if, like, your doctor did not tell you, and you were like, "Ooh, I made it! I pushed this freaking giant head out of my body. Mm-hmm. I'm done." And they're like, "Guess what? <laughs> Stick around for 30 more minutes of contractions." You would have to be such a luddite and like not be interested in finding out any information about pregnancy at all to not know that that was going to happen. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. But if you were, if you were that sheltered, whew, what a surprise. <laughs> My theory is that people don't talk about these things so that you, you know, the entire human race isn't like, wow, pregnancy sounds terrible. Never mind. Right. No kids for me. Thanks. <laughs> this is probably a bad episode for the proliferation of our species. Would you like placental cells to burrow into your body? Well, have children. Would you like a placenta attached to your bladder? Are you ready for your placenta omelet? <laughs> Everyone's just like, can I just can I just form an egg, please? That's like the next wave of medical technology is figuring out how we can just go back to egg birth because this whole birthing, oh, live yeah. birth thing, out of body uteruses, absolutely sign me up. Yeah, huh? Mm-hmm. I agree. So just watch my baby grow in a jar on the kitchen table. So under normal circumstances, is the placenta like ripped violently from the uterine wall during labor or is it like it kind of gets ready by retracting its connections beforehand good question you mean like like naturally or by by a human hand because that does i mean that does happen sometimes if if the placenta doesn't come out it they will like try to physically remove it like you you just mean like during birth does it like like The reason I bring that up, that should not happen. But okay. they, because essentially, so like if your placenta rips apart and there are part, pieces of it still attached to your uterus, it really is, a, it's an open wound. You now have an artery that's like a gaping artery that's gushing blood so you can hemorrhage blood. So there is like this real, like if the if the placenta doesn't come out during the first like 30 to 40 minutes, then 
it, it just it depends like they'll massage your stomach they'll try to get it out whatever but like and then they will reach in and try to like grab the pieces out of it but that can be terrible as well that's how my friend Megan like legitimately almost died because they but it was it wasn't a doctor that did it it was like the midwife or something because right, it's all attached <clears throat> everything's still attached yeah. I would like to not have anyone except for a medical professional's hands inside of my body cavity I mean, please she was a medical <laughs> professional but it was just it was it was I mean it, it's a real crapshoot right yeah. because it's like if you don't rip it out then you've got this gaping artery if you do rip it out well then then you've just created a wound uh-huh. on the uterine wall the uterine wall so um yeah, I'm going to I mean, you know, it's just a risky thing. It's just just pregnancy is just a risky thing. But yes. we can tell you how it's supposed to work. Because because as you were asking, you know, does is there something like does the placenta prepare for this extraction? It does. It does. Mm-hmm. So around the seventh month of pregnancy, the mother's immune system sort of kicks up, it ramps up. And by the ninth month, the lining of the uterus itself has sort of started to thin out, which actually exposes the placental cells that are that are buried there. And these two changes together allow the mother's T cells, their, her immune cells, to come in and actually start attacking the trophoblast placental cells directly. They go and they they attack them and they induce something called aptop, apop, apoptosis. Oh, geez. Apoptosis, <laughs> which is otherwise known as programmed cell death. And so as a result, the placenta sort of begins to lose its hold on the uterine wall in these last few months of pregnancy. And once the baby is out and the umbilical cord has been cut, the placenta loses its blood supply from the fetus. And that causes the placental villi, remember those like wiggly fingers, to shrink and collapse. At which point the placenta begins to loosen its hold a little more on the uterus. Meanwhile, there are hormones that help initiate labor in the mother's body. And these also trigger the contractions that will proceed in the afterbirth. So the point at which the baby is out of the body, but the placenta still has to get out of the body. Like toothpaste sort of shooting from a tube when you give it a good squeeze. These contractions are, yes, mechanically dislodging the now somewhat withered and bedraggled placenta from the wall of the uterus through sheer force. So you can say in that sense, it is a violent process. But it's like a little bit of both. <laughs> it is. Yeah, like the, like the placenta, in in every, if everything's going well, it's kind of ready. It's like already like, oh, I'm weak, I'm bedraggled, and, you know, then, oh, I'm being pushed, blah, and out it goes. Hmm. So bye-bye invading Oregon. Man, I wish we had a way to track the rate of pregnancy in Portland after the airing of this episode. <laughs> right? So it's like when you spray like weeds in your yard with like a weed killer and it kind of shrivels the roots up and then you can oh. just pluck them right out of the ground. Yes. A little a, bit like that. That's really a great analogy. analogy. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Strong weeds, hard to pull. Withered weeds, easy to get rid of. Wither that placenta body. Wither it. <laughs> if there's one thing you, we want you to learn, it's wither that placenta body. All right. So after all this, all this, I mean, this is probably a big shoe drop for a lot of us listening. How, how do we all feel about the placenta? Do you want to know how we feel about the placenta or how we feel about pregnancy or? Sure, whatever. What, Pregn- how do you, you know. Pregnancy sounds terrifying. The placenta sounds like, I don't know, I kind of respect it. <laughs> you know I, I mean? Yeah, I feel like a lot of the things that we talked about are like, like worst case scenario, like with the the various stages of like the placenta implanting too far mm-hmm. or like doing the wrong thing, like it's really this like well evolved symbiosis that really helps like fetuses develop. So it's like super important and like mostly goes fine and isn't like inherently a super icky process, but also rather terrifying. 
kind of weird. Think about like the first placenta, right? Like, I mean, because it had to be, it was like a relative of a bird lizard dinosaur is what the article <laughs> that I found said. And like, the mom's like, okay, I'm about to lay an egg. And then this egg is like, ha no way. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to live like, in your body instead. <laughs> right. Like, you know, suctions itself on into her body right. and like starts growing little tentacles. And it's like, no, thanks. Keep feeding me. And the mom's like, what the? Get out of me. And it's like, yeah. nope, not for nine more months. Thanks but then enough. it survived and yeah. it passed that on. Yeah. That is weird. That that makes me feel like it's way more of an invader. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. It is a little icky. Yes. Yeah. Well, I know how I feel about the placenta, but Kira, how do you feel about the placenta? Since you are pretty far along in a case of placental invasion yourself, aren't you? Oh yeah, yeah I am. I've actually been letting the placenta invade my body for about eight months, to oh. be exact. So cool. I think it's doing its job. Yeah. I think I think it's growing something in there. Yeah. How, Pretty sure, unless I'm just really full. <laughs> we did have burritos before the show, so that might be the issue. Um, what has all this research made you think? Oh, it, well, it, it definitely blew my mind just because I didn't realize how important the placenta was, nor did I realize the extent at which it took over and, and chewed its way into my own body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it certainly, <laughs> it certainly makes me more inclined that when I go through that afterbirth period, that I'm going to get the placenta as far away from me as I can. Are you afraid it's going to try to reattach well, itself to you? I mean, yeah, well, it's just, I mean, it's more of an alien than I thought. So it's like, hey, placenta, thanks for help keeping my fetus alive during my pregnancy and all. But, you know, now that that's done, get your super invasive trophoblast cells away from me. Like, I am not interested in a brain placenta or anything today. I, I guess that's how I feel about, like, ivy when I pull it out of my backyard. <laughs> blackberries. You're like, just go. Yeah, you, you pick all the blackberries. You're like, thanks, blackberry bushes. Wither, now get the hell out. Wither and die yeah, and get, get the, the hell, hell away out of here. <laughs> so you're not going to eat the placenta then? No. 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 I, I mean, it was, I, I get it that like, if you thought it was part of your own body, you might think, oh, I want to return it to my body, but it's not. Really? You know, like, I mean. Well, I'm sorry. Are there people who were like, oh, I pulled earwax out of my ear. That was part of my body. I better eat it. I don't it. know. That's a good question. Humans are so weird. Maybe I should make my baby eat it, though. Like, no. Nope. Like, is like retribution for all that the placenta did to me <laughs> to get the baby me. to this point. I could be like, here, I'll save it. I'll freeze it. And I'll be like, when he's like 18, I'll be like, hey, this thing, it, bur- it saved your life. It gave you life by burrowing into my uterine wall and stealing my nutrients. Eat it to avenge me and see what you're happens. You're saying is you, you're going to give your child a really high therapy bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. Most people can't get their kids to eat broccoli. How are you going to convince your kid to eat a placenta? Unless your kid is a super hippie. It's for I honor. Know. It's for honor and glory. Is in his mother's thing? name? No, I don't no. know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> well, it is now. Wow, this got real dark real fast, huh? Yeah, mm. it did. But, but I will say, I do appreciate the placenta. I do. And I appreciate my body for keeping it in check so it could just be invasive enough to do its job and not go too crazy on me. We hope. Well, on that note, I think it's time to say goodbye for now. And actually, to say goodbye for a little while, given that other Kira here has a pretty big life event imminently approaching. You know, that whole thing that comes along with the placenta called yeah. the baby. Yeah, we decided... <laughs> We decided that it would probably be best to take a little break from the show for a bit because something tells me I'll be pretty occupied for a 
a period of time. Yeah, that's what new mothers tend to tell me. And while we may not be doing any full episodes for a while, we might be able to find some time to squeeze in a bit of extra content and other fun sciencey things. So stay tuned. Go to our website and listen to all the old episodes. That's uh, everythingisinteresting.org. Follow us on Instagram at everythingisinterestingpodcast. You know, subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss out when all of our next big episodes come out. Jill, I am so glad that you could be here with us for this riveting discussion of placental invasions. I hope you had a good time. Thank you so much for having me on. I had a blast. So Everything is Interesting is brought to you by a collaboration between X-Ray FM and Science Project, the Portland-based nonprofit helping to spread enthusiasm for science. Big thanks, big ups to our production team here at X-Ray, Amalia and Jenny. Uh, You make this possible. And also, we love you with all of our hearts. We certainly do. And our placentas, those of us that have them. Yeah, my placenta loves you. (laughs) Just don't let it get near your brain. (laughs) We're going to get Amalia a t-shirt that says that. (laughs) (laughs) And as always, so much love and thanks to all you guys out there, our listeners and our lovers of science and fun. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. You can find it and all of, of our others online at our website, everythingisinteresting.org, on the X-Ray Podcast Network at xraypod.com, and as a subscribable show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. For now, I'm Kira Lindenberg. And I'm Kira Klingenberg. We'll see you next time on Everything is Interesting, right here on X-Ray FM, where radio and science is yours. Music.